You're listening to the somewhat entertaining live with Sunday and Ben. Welcome to another episode of the somewhat entertaining. Um, another week, um, another episode. Still no football, but we do have Nathan Courage and Alex Caldo um, on the line. Um, how are we doing, lads? Very well, thanks, Sunday. Pleasure to be on the program. Looking forward to it. Hey, Alex? Good, mate. Thanks for having me back on for a third time. <laughs> yeah. Feels like you're our number one um, Yeah, number one guest at the moment. Yeah, you got to get what's been happening? Yeah. Um, how are we going without football at the moment, Nathan? Um, to, to be honest, I actually enjoyed the first few weeks. I do so much. I don't really have a day without it. That um, It was kind of enjoyable, but now I miss it. Now it's... Um, it's a uh, it's a bit of a big hole. I actually miss the kids being involved, like my own kids watching them and being involved with them. To be honest, so um, but you know it'll all come back. I think I just make the most of it while it's not there, and then we'll be back. Yeah, soon. Are, you still, are you still doing a bit of work on the side with coaching wise, or just preparing for when football does come back up? No, I uh, I kept going until the point where I do a lot of obviously small group stuff. I tried to uh, rein back in the one on ones just because. I think um, or from a couple of reasons. One, technically you can only do so much where kids need to develop their technical ability under pressure and in the context of a real game uh, where they've got body-to-body contact. And I think it's really hard to recreate that in a one-on-one environment. I know there's a lot of one-on-one coaching and there's a lot of dicky stuff that goes on. And um, I think it's got its role. But anyway, I tried to rein it in and just do small groups, which was a good idea until this uh, coronavirus shut it down. Then I really... I couldn't do any small groups. So um, I see there's a few guys still doing one-on-ones and breaking the rules, but, you know, whatever. As long as they don't get dobbed into the police, they'll be fine. Are you all for that, or do you reckon we should kind of – kids should have a break while this is going on? Oh, no, nah, man. I, and that's another whole can of worms if you've got my opinion on the current coronavirus, yeah. but that's a separate um, podcast. Um, no, I think they should be doing as much as possible. I, get them out, get a ball, um, especially in Bendigo, in a regional area, and not to be – controversial around a topic we don't really care to talk about. But I think there's, what, 10 cases of it in Bendigo originally. There's none now. There hasn't been any for a couple of weeks from what I understand. So, you know, getting a few kids out to kick a ball, why not? I think get them out yeah. there. It's 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 more harmful than good to, to not allow it, I think. Yeah, because it feels like we, we might be behind the eight ball when the season does start because it feels like we're so against actually kids going out there and playing or just not even playing but just kicking the ball around in local parks from a football point of view. Well, I agree. I had a couple of kids. So I'm pretty much based in Melbourne now. Obviously, my, a lot of my coaching's in Bendigo. And I had a couple of kids. They're really good. I do some work with them through the Soccer Select program, and they they were meant to be going over to the UK, uh, sister and brother. Um, the boys, amazing. The girls equally as good, and they got trials lined up with some big clubs over there. But their dad is pretty committed. He's one of those soccer dads. But he had them out in the park, and he was telling me a couple of weeks ago, you got abused by someone why you shouldn't have your kids out there and it was terrible parenting. So anyway, he just, um, he said, oh, that's it. I'm not doing it anymore because I don't want to get the public backlash, which is, you know, I think it's crazy. But whatever, that's that's the environment we're trying to work in at the moment. Yeah. You mentioned Soccer Select. Um, what is that? I see that it's been on, I think it was on the advertiser um, a few, at the start of the year or sometime last year. Yeah, so I somewhat fortuitously came across um, a guy by the name of Lee Waddington who played at Manchester United, was um, one of the head coaches of their academy program there in the Alex Ferguson days. He, um, oh, it's, it's, it's a long story and it's got so many elements to it, but effectively on that side of the world, so he was coaching at Man United. He's got a consultancy-based business now, which is 
um, trying to streamline the recruiting and player identification, player development of international players. So one of the big things they saw over there with all the big clubs was they'd constantly get asked to go watch these scouting events. Um, from their point of view, there was just no talent there because there was no real process put in before the kids arrived. And what they also saw and what Lee was big on was that, you know, there's all these groups and we'd all be aware of them. They pretty much just sell kids this idea or, or dream of, you know, we'll take you over, we'll give you this scouting opportunity. And a lot of it is just a money grab and it's, um, you know, it leads to nothing. And then they were seeing parents spend 10, 20,000 bucks to turn around and go back to the country they're from, lots from Australia, Asia, the um, American countries. Um, so anyway, so he took on a consultancy approach with a lot of the, the EPL clubs, uh, well, a lot of the UK clubs from all different levels and um, basically tried to streamline their international scouting. So, I mean, of all the people in Australia, like obviously – They'd be a lot more better qualified than me, but through a few mutual connections, I met up with him and so I picked up his Australian um, activity. And the whole idea of Soccer Select is really to, one, identify talent um, that's potentially able to step into an um, academy environment in the UK. They mainly focus on sort of your 8 to 12 years old on the basis that they show significant physical literacy indicators at that age. We can develop the football ability in the right environment. Um yeah, but we look at all ages. It's, it's built around sort of this assessment process. Players are then categorised into different levels and then given different programs or opportunities. And and I guess the, the big defining difference is that only kids that are of the level, like as in they could walk over there, get a trial at an academy um, program, whatever tier, there's four tiers of the academy football in the UK. So you got level one, which is your big clubs, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, et cetera down to tier four. Um, so we only look at talking to parents about taking kids over if they've got an actual offer on the table to walk into an academy program. Other than that, we provide them with different programs to continue their development. So there's private coaching connected to it. I don't do it all. We refer them to other good coaches and give them programs. And Anyway, so that's it in yeah. a nutshell. It's good. It's exciting. I love being involved in it. Yeah, Alex, is this something that you wish was in place when you were growing up in Bendigo? Because obviously you played in the state system and it feels like this is... Yeah, well, it sounds good. Like, I know there's, not from personal experience, but I know there's a lot of other players that have grown up around Bendigo that have kind of gone overseas and had that experience within a professional club. Like, a, uh, I can't remember exactly which one, but I remember Sam Scoble went over and did one. Lucky Beaver went over and did a couple, like... And it's just something you like. You always want to do like growing up and and enjoying like playing and watching those clubs. Like you just, you always just want that opportunity. So I guess for kids now growing up like in that pathway, it's just something that it's just another tool they can use to to get where they want to be. I think that yeah, Alex makes a good point. It's another option, and and as we know in Australian football, the bottleneck is so narrow, and therefore the options or the opportunities for young kids are so limited. Like you look at does the big question at the moment, does the NPL actually feed into the A-League? And, you know, for the large part, the answer is no. So the chance for an Australian kid to get an opportunity to play professionally is so limited. So it it does. It provides opportunities to just get outside of Australia and look at um, or be introduced to other environments where you can be in an academy program. They do. He does a lot of work in... Asia and the Americas, so he connects kids into MLS clubs, um, Asian clubs, Asian academies. So, yeah, I think 
it's exactly what Alex said. This is such a limited opportunity and it's just another option really to um, provide a pathway. But in saying that, there's so many gimmicky stuff out there. It's also hard to, for parents to determine what's a money grab and what's legitimate. So, Yeah. Are you, str- have you, are you struggling to get parents involved into this program that you've um, introduced or was it well taken? No, there's um, been a considerable take up and we did a social media rollout in Australia and the uptake or the interests was um, overwhelming to the point where I had to convince them in the UK and you've got to rein it in because in business, just looking at it in those terms, if you can't deliver what you say you're going to deliver, you, you're you not going to be around in business for much longer. Yeah, so we were getting so many requests. And in the end, it wasn't about numbers. It's about trying to find talent. So, um, yeah, so we anyway, we reined it in. But, yeah, we got great uptake and... I think in the first few months of this year, prior to all the, the uh, coronavirus stuff, we've got there's one 13 year old boy went over and trialed. Um, I think he was at Leicester. So um, there was these two kids, brother and sister, that have been um, given an invitation to come over and trial. I think it was probably four. I think it was four all up this year. So it's not really about the numbers; it's about quality over quantity. Yeah, I'm with you. With them, obviously, you're involved in the Bendigo City program. Um, some of those players, would they be? Would you classify them as eligible for Soccer Select, or would they be? Yeah, I work with a few of them, and it's an interesting one because one or two that I think are. Let's take one in individual who's twelve, <laughs> so young. I think technically he's fantastic. And so he, his parents, I encourage him and his parents to do the reporting process. And um, so the reports are observed and done by a panel of um, UEFA A coaches and at least three of them currently sit on um, or coach at different um, professional clubs. So his report they came back, it acknowledged his technical ability, but it was one of the big eye-openers for me in that his um, ability under pressure both in decision-making and physically to stand up and execute basic um, skills of the game were non-existent. And so he wasn't categorised. So the, the reporting process puts him in a category. If they fit into one of the categories of the UK tiers of um, football, then, you know, things progress and he didn't fit any of the categories. And I was surprised, but I think it pointed out, and a lot of the discussions I've had with the guys over there in Australian football and is that, we, I don't know how far you go down the rabbit hole here, but we went down this whole curriculum-based approach and it all became really technical and developing these SAP skills. Um, so much of it now is done in isolation. Well, we've largely got kids that really, on the scale of world football, um, they've got all the talent in the world, they can do tricks, but they might as well go and put a little um, guitar case down in the local mall and busk and show their tricks because in the environment of real football where they're bashed and crashed into around, there's physical contact and all of that pressure, we're not seeing the ability to translate their skill into that environment, So, which was this kid in Bendigo. But, um, I'd agree with that too, I reckon, Nathan. Like, uh, I think Sunday, we, you and I have touched on it briefly before, there's a lot of young players in Melbourne and Bendigo uh, that are like 14, 15, playing under 20s or even playing seniors. And things that they're recognised for as being good at. So, for example, if there's like an 11 or 12 year old kid who's really good, like one v one, can beat players. Uh, like they say, yeah, this is what he's good. We well, this is what he's good at. Like we'll put him up, we'll let him play under 20s as a 15 year old, and then goes plays under 20s as a 14, 15 year old. Tries to beat a player one on one and just gets smashed and just knows like 
oh, I can't do that here. So what else can I do? Because I've been recognized as being good one-on-one and now I can't use that. So you're kind of just directed to just kind of play more simple and then you lose what you're good at and then you just kind of don't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think the environment, when you talk about junior development, I think that's true, Cardo. Like the environment, we can look in Bendigo, say, is, you know, in developing juniors, it's one thing to have quality coaching, but the other key element to developing quality young footballers is the environment that they're playing in. Like you can have great information given by a coach, but if it's not being tested and sort of smashed out in a really tough environment, it's not going to be developed. Um, and I think that's, like you say, then, Keldo, we in Australia then get put in the situation where you got that 14, 15-year-old kid, like the example you gave, oh, well, the best environment we can put him in is a senior environment. It's too far of a jump and too much of a step mm-hmm. up. So we lose part of our development process and, yeah, there's, there's a big hole there that I think is part of the reason why we're not developing really high-caliber international players. Yeah, because yeah, he was like, yeah. There was a kid that I, um, I think I played against in the under-16s or 17s and then in his first senior game or under-20s, I think he's 14, 15, broke his leg for Ballarat Red Devils. Jake Francis is his name. I think the year that we – yeah, that's the kid. I think the year that you coached as Nathan that year in the under-20s where it's – he was good but he struggled physically and it kind of got to him. Yeah. Yeah, and the environment's just not there. And that's – like we sent – this 13-year-old kid who went over to Leicester – it was his second trial and he, he got an offer in his first one, but he was a bit younger. His dad said the biggest thing was um, his own age group, the physicality um, just overwhelmed him and so he went to water. Um, you know, so you got to get that physical tough environment to, you know, smash and develop players sort of in their own age group without being forced to throw them up into an environment that's just impossible. Yeah, and how? what would you do to kind of um... – kind of help him out in that situation, Nathan? Or how would you change, try and change the circumstances if he does decide to go back? Yeah, I don't know. See, that, I mean, that's one of the questions we're looking at with these guys um, involved on in the UK end of it is for kids that either aren't quite at the standard to come over or they can't logistically, financially, the parents can't, how do you recreate the environment that is needed to develop their potential in Australia? Um, you know, when largely you can't, we can't recreate all the elements that exist in those big European countries, like the passion, the resource, the finance, um, the numbers, which just means your stronger athletic kids are all playing that. We've got some of our best, stronger athletic kids going to footy, um, you know, and in Northern States rugby. So I don't know, it's a great question. I don't know if there's a real answer. We still mull over the, the answer to that question to try and ensure that we're doing the right thing by the players we work with and, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think you just – I've said to a few, you just got to get into the best environment you can. Get to one of the better NPL clubs, good coaches, tough environment with the players you're playing against and just do what you can within the context that we live in, which is in Australia. But obviously, yeah, I remember um, a few weeks ago we had you on, Alex, and you mm-hmm. mentioned that some of the best players that you've played with have actually all gone now to footy. I think it was Oscar Perez and then Ollie went yeah. down and ended up playing footy. Yeah, well, Ollie, like Nathan says, like a lot of the good physical kids go and play footy. Ollie's probably the best. Well, I don't know. I can't really say the I'd say best ever. Bendigo player. Yeah, he'd be one of. But I'm saying like he was physical, like he's quick, strong, good in the air, wasn't scared to to smash people. But then he was just like, well, I'm going to go play footy because it was like 
I'm better. I'm better. My body's better utilized for footy because people don't realize that soccer can be quite well. It is a very physical game, especially when you play at a high level. Like you can't even count the times you get smashed, like in a senior game or even in a in a reserves game in Bendigo. We get absolutely smashed. So it's like I think kids are kind of fed from a young age that soccer is kind of a soft sport and it kind of directs them towards footy or rugby or or other sports like that. Do you reckon he – I remember when I was coaching you guys back in the um, 2015, the Benny City 20s, and I think you were about 15, Caldo. And I think, yeah, was I think you guys mentioned his name. I'd never seen him play. and We needed to try and recruit him, and he ended up going to footy. Do you think he oh, – I never saw him play. So do you think he went for his own enjoyment, like he just enjoyed footy more? Was it like social in terms yeah. of his mates or opportunities were more? Well, it's both, I think, because – so we all grew up playing together. I'll probably bore the listeners with this. It's probably like the fifth time I've said the story. But we um, we grew up we grew up playing together um, and then kind of as we got to 14, 15, when the pathway finishes. So, like, you either make it or you don't when you're 15. Um, a few of us missed out. Ollie made the team but decided to go and play footy because all of us weren't there, if that makes sense. So, like, um, yeah, me and Oscar didn't make it. Uh, he made it and he thought, well, I'm going to go play footy because none of my mates are here anymore. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and we've seen that in the last year or so at Bendigo City. the same dynamic. I, I don't know. I think it's more prominent in regional areas. I'm not sure why, but um, yeah, we see it all the time. Have you seen a has you have you seen a drop off in quality then Nathan because of that over the last few years with the um, players at Bendigo City? Yeah, yeah, and not to be obviously don't want to be harsh on the current players that, that are there yeah. in the older age groups, but you look at the group we had last year in the under I think they were under 15s last year, so we stop at under 16s now given FVs uh, what they saw fit to do with the restructure, but. Yeah, last year's under 15s, which would have been our under 16s this year. I saw them as young kids. Um, you know, they there was some talent there. I, I was really excited to take them on and work with them. Problem was, there's a bunch of factors, but um, one or two decide, well, this is a dead end pathway in Bendigo because what do I do after under 16? I've got to make the jump to some other NPL club if I'm serious anyway. So, uh, and I fully supported their decision, you know, to be fair to them, they had to. So a couple of them decided we'll go get opportunities, and they did. Some big clubs in Melbourne, that was brilliant. A um, couple of the others, I think, just were like, I'm over this sort of NPL. I don't see a real future in making it now. You know, those sort of illusions when you're 12, 13 years old are gone for some of them. So I'll go back to Bendigo, uh, to Basel and just play. That was encouraged a bit by some coaches, which, you know, whatever. I um, could have my opinion on that, but it's not going to go anywhere. Um and then all of a sudden you have this seeming mass exodus, which is really only probably five or six players. So then we saw in this group the other five or six all decided, screw this, I'm going to go to and play with my mates. And then you have this situation where we were at the start of this year with that whole team gone and you're building a team from scratch. And, you know, it's, it's really only a problem faced in the regional areas. Um, I think we've managed to put a decent team of some good kids and other kids that wouldn't otherwise have a chance who got a chance, you know, but... Yeah, it's definitely a huge problem. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd kind of sorry, Sunday. I'd kind of say like when Nathan, you're saying how there's no pathway like to go on to to play in Benio in a, at a CJPL level. 
even when I was at that kind of stage, when um, like I was playing in your under-20s team in 2015 and then the pathway was there to play seniors, the year after you that. You 15 and got your first senior game, which is uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Anyway, the the last the year after that, when it kind of broke down a bit and it was the, the beginning of the end, I'd kind of say, I thought per- personally that I would get more out of playing at Epsom under a coach like Ryan Pollard with maybe not as good players than I would have if I went to Bendigo City and I was getting beaten 10 nil every week. So I think maybe, like obviously you don't enjoy it. I've been watching Sunderland till I die recently and like they kind of say that year they had in the championship, they were getting smashed every weekend. It's not a good environment to be in. No one's happy. The staff aren't happy. Everyone hates you. Like all the fans hate you because you're not winning. And it was like, well, do I really want to be a part of a team that is getting beaten comprehensively every single week, struggling to score goals? Or do I want to go and learn under a good coach and maybe get ready and prepare myself to maybe make a move to Melbourne or make a move to another NPR club. Yeah, it's. And I think it's a catch twenty two because there's definite, um, like that makes sense rationally. The challenge is if at age fifteen, sixteen, you go and put yourself. You might be under a good coach and you're lucky enough to have a good environment um, in Basel and get lucky. The problem is those couple of years are so crucial to opportunities. Um, you know your your own development that there's a window of opportunity that can go missing if you take that path and I absolutely agree I take on board sometimes it's the best option but you know the third option is then you try and jump straight to an MPL club with your 14 15 do your family want to drive you to Melbourne four times a week you know there's, there's so many other logistics that face yeah. in regional areas that yeah I mean it's it's difficult it's a real difficult one I'd, and for me, I, I've been a believer in the NPL system. I think it needs to be in Bendigo. Um, the detractors from it have never given one reason that I can see why it shouldn't be here. But I think even with it here, you're still going to face those issues that you point out, Alex, because there's just so many deficiencies and shortcomings in terms of resource, etc. But, you know, I guess we can only do what we can do. Mm. With, um with more support from, I guess, it's regional clubs or actual amateur clubs is in the Bendigo amateur league that would um, you'd have more success, Nathan? Because obviously my time playing for Bendigo City was probably my favourite time, soccer period, period of time where I think I played under you and then I played under Heath the year before and I loved it. It was like playing against the best players in the state um, at your age level and you're at that period to where you can actually go somewhere. Yeah. Oh, I I just – it's so short-sighted, I think, that there are local clubs well, and the whole local football environment to not see the benefit of having an MPL pathway, not to support it and try and create a synergy between it all. That one, on one hand, in Basel, you know, you've, I see it really simply. Basel, to me, is brilliant and what they, the product or service they provide is your grassroots participation. It's it's an opportunity for everyone from all age ability to play. Brilliant. You have to have it. But they're not good, despite what they and others might think. They're not good at the elite development. Um, you know, like I said, you need one, coaches, but that's only a small piece of the pie. Two, you need an environment. Um, you need to be playing against the best competition. So then you've got MPL, which to me fills that. It's, it's the vehicle to fill that void of elite development. Um, like you said, you're playing against, we're pitting our kids up here um, against the best of the best in their age. 
Um, that to really driven competitive kids, I think, is, you know, gold. They love it. They thrive on it. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, I, to be honest, mate, I don't understand why. Like I've been back involved in Basel after that 2015 year that um, Caldo mentioned you were there. Obviously, administratively, things went down the gurgler and a few of us were no longer involved at, at the club. In all that time when me and a lot of others would have had reason to be a bit bitter and, you know, not be keen on the whole um, club and the program and whatever, I never once sort of saw any reason to detract from it, its existence. And I think I always said to people, you know, those of us with the resource and the ability to help it need to. And in the end, I was sort of taken at my word and, and got back involved. Um, but I think it has to exist. People need to see their role, be content with what their role is. Basil provide opportunity for grassroots, for all kids to play and experience the game. Um, NPL, Benigo City, is a flow on from that where your best kids, your elite kids get an opportunity to play against the, the state's best. How we haven't had the ability to marry that and link that up is beyond me. And I think even you can, you know, the answer to that is, oh, there's egos, there's personal interests, there's agendas. And I just think at some point everyone involved has to grow up, get over it and see it for what it is as and create an idealistic um, or the ideal and just make it happen or work towards making it happen because the, the fact that it's not happening to me is just, I, um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, because we've obviously got the coaches to produce players. I guess it's with the likes of you in it at the moment. And I know I think Zach Mills is actually doing playing a part and helping um, with the development side of things. Yeah, Zach was um, – I just he connected with me and he said, I know I want to get involved in coaching. And I was like, oh, brilliant, mate. Come out to Benigo City, be an assistant out there. He ended up taking the assistant role with me learn what you can. The club is really, I think the club's brilliant. They've, they've never, I've never had one reason in this second period with them um, to have any negatives or detract. You know, they constantly look after me in every way possible and they did the same by Zach. People that come there will pay for you to get your C licence, get your accreditation, um, put you in an environment where you're going to learn and he's been brilliant. I, and he's a young guy obviously from Bendigo, loves the games, playing at the senior level here, wants to get involved in coaching. Um, and the opportunity for him has been great, but what he's brought back to the club is fantastic. He's been he's been brilliant. But yeah, so you got he's come out there. Tomo Greg Thomas has come back purely for the same reason as me. Like whatever has happened in the past, we believe in the existence of MPI and Bendigo, so we'll do whatever we can to support it being existing, existing and being there. Yeah, and I guess it's it's I think it's great that you guys are actually doing that because we do need it. Um, I guess it's players will get sick of junior players will get sick of playing in the Basel comp because they want to get they want to play against better players um, week in week out because otherwise they'll just play footy as what um, Alex said at the start. Yeah, hopefully. And Alex uh, raised some really good um, sort of challenges that we face. And the thing is, they're going to be there. They exist. We just have to figure out ways to try and overcome them. We won't overcome all of them, but you know, I think if everyone took a bit more of a proactive approach to see the different, you know, roles that each party plays, the benefits of everyone playing their role. I think, and I'm a little bit of an optimist and an idealist, you could get there, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, and most most of it comes down to personnel and individuals actually, um, you know, doing all that work and sometimes just that becomes a blockage, but, you know. Yeah, so obviously 
the position that Benio City is in, is in, is it so it's quite similar to um, GV Suns and obviously Murray. Is it Murray United FC? Murray United folded. Um, they folded. They don't, yeah, they don't have a senior club anymore. I think they they might still have juniors, but they kind of face similar problems to what Bendigo had in terms of in the first year. So they yeah. lost, they lost a lot of players, I think, a couple of years ago. Um, I could be wrong here, but this is my understanding of it. Um, they lost some players. They didn't have long to get a team to put on the parks. They had to overpay players to get them to the club. Obviously, being in a regional area, you got to pay a little bit more anyway. Um, and then they just couldn't afford – They it just wasn't sustainable. They were putting out too much money for players who probably weren't worth it, but they had to. Otherwise, they would have – they didn't have a team. Yeah. Yeah, they've gone down the same – Path as Bendigo, unwillingly. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, each regional area, like um, Shepparton or Golden Valley, um, Ballarat, uh, Murray, and now um, Latrobe Valley this year have come into the NPL. Like, they've all got NPL programs and, oh, you know, most of them seem like in Shepparton, for example, they're when they shut down under 12s. So there's no under 12 NPL anymore. So we started under 13, okay. So what would have been the under-12 Goulburn Valley Suns NPL team, because of the relationship they had with the local league, they said, well, hang on, let's still develop that age group because we can't leave them another year without that level of development or by the time we started under-13, which is the exact problem we face in Bendigo, they're not going to be up to it. So they're always behind the eight ball in competing with the Melbourne clubs. In Shepherd, and you look at it, the relationship's good. Goulburn Valley Suns still have an under-12 team. They're not playing NPL, but they're playing in the local league. The problem in Bendigo is the powers that be, for whatever reason, whether it be trying to protect their their own little turf or their um, um, little kingdom or whatever, said, no, nah, you can't have – Bendigo City can't have an under-12 team and play in Basel. Um, all those kids need to stay at their local Basel clubs. And, and I just think it's so short-sighted because then we try and get all those kids then next year at age 13 um, – to join the NPL, they're so far behind. They haven't had the opportunities. They haven't had the development. They haven't had the coaching. Chances are at under 12 level, they're still getting a dad. God bless the dads. Like we, all, we need all dads and volunteers involved to make the game work. But if you're trying to develop kids to step into NPL environment for our regional area to be competitive and strong and you've got 11, 10, 11, 12-year-olds still playing, you know, in, in that sort of environment in Basel, just local community football, it's not going to work. So... Bendigo, like the other regional areas seem, although Murray's had their issues obviously of late, they seem to have a bit more sorted out than we do. Yeah. Well, Bendigo City not having a senior team in the um, at the club, is that sustainable, like long-term? Good question. Um, uh, no. Um, to, it's sustainable to a degree, but we'll, or I think we'll always have the fallout from the 15, 16-year-olds. Um, and I think there's some movement, which, uh, you know, I've had conversations and, um, just around what can we do to bring a state league team or some sort of senior opportunity, which is it may not be NPL, maybe that's not sustainable in Bendigo and NPL senior program, um, but there's got to be an opportunity for kids that's um, not just, I oh, just go back to Basel and play. I mean, let's be honest, I, I love Bendigo. I grew up here um, and I've always committed to try and do what I can for football in the region, bend my line a bit, and some people don't like my opinion or what I do. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, Basel is a bit of a 
a backwater in terms of the big world of football in Australia and in obviously specifically in Victoria. When you're involved down here in Melbourne, no one knows Basel exists. No one knows that there's anything outside of what the FV is around Melbourne, NPL, State League, down to sort of State League 5, then you've got your Metro Leagues. So I think if we resign kids to that's their only option for senior football is to play in Basel, I just think we're doing doing them such a disservice to go, well, there you go, that's your only option. Um, you know, it's got a role to play. I'm not sort of advocating that it's useless and it's pointless. and like it, But I just think we have to provide kids a pathway that's more than just, well, you know, there's no um, senior NPL program anymore, so you just have to go back and play Basel, except for the one or two freaks, um, you know, like your Mitch Graham and um, Ryan Calms, for example, a young kid who will no doubt get NPL opportunities at senior level. Um, you know, we sort of go, well, for those ones, they'll get their chance. For everyone else, it's just back to Basel. I think it's, it's rubbish. And if we resign ourselves to that, then, you know, I don't want to be part of it. Because um, I think, yeah. I think – Alex. Yeah, sorry, Nathan. No, no, just developing some sort of middle concept, which is a state league senior team, is paramount. And there's a few people with the resource um, the qualifications and that are starting to talk about it as a need. And yeah, I think some things will come out in the future, which will be exciting. Yeah, because Alex, you and I had a conversation. I think when we went for a kick a few weeks ago, mm. and when um, I think you you fall under that category where you're. We all know that you're too good for Basel. Like, it's, we can all agree on that. But you are, though. Like, it's we've seen you play. Um, you're definitely one of the better players in the comp when you're not injured. Like, it feels like the State League team would actually help you in a way because I, I, one of the things that you said when we spoke was that you wanted to play in the MPL before you got to 30, I believe. Oh, I just thought, like, I was thinking, like, I'm 21, turned 21 last month, and I was just thinking, like, when I was 15, 16, I just thought by now, yeah, the NPL in Benio would be so established that, like, we'd be able to have a senior team. And, like, obviously it hasn't worked out and that's fine. But it was just like now I'm at a point where I've probably got less years in front of me than what I've got behind me. Like, I'm probably past halfway. And I was just thinking, well, if I want to play at a high level, I've probably got to start doing it sooner and otherwise I'm going to miss out. And that's... As a junior, I always thought, no, nah, it'll be fine. I'll, I'll have some sort of, um, not career, but like I'll play at a, a fairly decent level. And yeah, I just don't really want to miss out on that. I think, I think the structure in that's been in place in your sort of formative years has definitely let you down. Because I agree with Sunday. You know, when he saw you play as a fifteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old kid getting an opportunity. Um, to play senior football and it was against Bulleen on Bulleen's home pitch, you know, at a decent, a really decent level, playing against some quality um, footballers. You know, there's obviously that speaks highly of your talent and I'd agree with Sunday fully that you're way too good to be playing in the Basel. But for all those years, your formative years, and I mean injuries aside, that didn't help you either, but in those formative years, formative years the structure wasn't there for you to really get good opportunities and and it's a failing that we've got to try and avoid for future generations with kids that are similar to yourself. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, like, obviously keeping the junior pathway there is good, um, like for the players that are still at, at Bendigo City. And I think you touched on before, it's just about creating another pathway for them to go. Even if that doesn't mean NPL, it could mean state league or lower state leagues. As long as there's something there for them to go to, 
and see as this is where I want to, this is my goal. Like you can say that there's in a team, like as a coach, I'm not sure, not much of a coach myself, but you'd always see your squad, there's always a top five, there's always the middle five, and then there's your worst players, you're not as good ones. And for those middle five, you can you can always say, well, Bendigo seniors, that's where I want to be. And you can build a, a good solid team around contributors like that, whereas maybe the top five go to clubs in Melbourne, like, I don't know, South Melbourne's Green Gullies, bigger clubs in Melbourne, and then, yeah, your middle players stay in Bendigo and you can build a team around that with maybe getting some players from Melbourne who haven't made those bigger teams and then you can just kind of create some longevity that way. Because it sounds like that's something your daughter's done, Nathan, where she's obviously was one of, she was at a stage where she kind of had to move to Melbourne to play with the better players because she was one of the better players in her team at the time. Yeah, well, it's different, different again in girls. I don't think there's the standard or the number of girls players at a standard to have a um, WNPL or girls NPL program in Bendigo. So it's not really as viable. Um, but, yeah, she obviously showed a few signs and we um, got her – I spoke to a coach that I knew at the time at South and, um, yeah, I mean, a credit to her. She initially – again, because she hadn't been in the right environment, at age 13 she's just a little runt of a thing, goes down to their open trials – and really, it wasn't even that I knew anyone. Her initial feedback was, you know, you're not quite at the standard um, to go into it. I think it was the under-13s then. And so anyway, she was a young kid. She was a bit disappointed. Then they gave her an opportunity to be a train on. And it's more testament to her mental and her pl- application to the game that as a train on during the off-season, she got, she got a game in the practice match and another practice match and another practice match. And after three practice matches, she was so committed to prove herself. She dominated. Um, she then got offered a full spot before the season started and she went from there to now at age 16 being the captain of the South Melbourne under-19s. Um, but it's a really interesting thing. She's unique. She's got a unique mental application. We go down to a big game at Lakeside. Are you nervous? She's like, no, nah, not nervous at all. And I think that's a huge strength. I didn't have that ability. Um, but just the way she goes about it, she's different. So... So the same factors that could have negatively affected her, she overcame them. But the vast majority of kids, you turn up to an MPL trial in Melbourne at age 13 and you're behind, you don't get an offer, um, you know, that's it. For a lot of them, that's that's the door shut. <laughs> um, they don't have that willpower or that determination to overcome those obstacles and create the chance for themselves. So, which is, I guess, what we're talking about is ensuring that um, we still catch those kids and, and provide opportunities because kids develop at different rates. Like, you know, 12-year-old dominates, brilliant, absolutely amazing. At age 14, sometimes you've been brought back to the pack. Some kid that wasn't really a standout at age 15 hits their straps. And so you've got to, I think you've got to have a structure in place that allows for kids to develop at all those different um, points in there. Yeah. So we're gonna move. I'm gonna move on to like your time at Golden. We'll go back one. So your time at Golden City. I'm um, talking about development. Um, what was like? What were some of the key issues you faced in developing that senior team into actually um, competing? Yeah. I, and yeah, I think the like the biggest thing in terms of my time at Eaglehawk, where we had success. The last thing was Eaglehawk had a history and a culture of winning. They had a bunch of young kids that were really good. The talent of the team was just good. So as a first-year coach, it was just easy, really. You know, I had young Keegan Smith at age 17. We made him the captain. But it was just a no-brainer because we had quality. Fast forward, I don't know what it was, seven years, and I took on the job at Golden City in a local environment. These clubs that aren't – they pretty much now exist outside of Strathdale and Eaglehawk. 
they don't they don't have anything really to offer players. So they're not winning. So players, good players, don't want to go there because they're not winning. We you don't have money to offer those players to bring across, and you don't really have facilities. There's nothing else you can really offer. So I turn up at Golden City with a bit of a well, you know, it was going to help them out. Um, I was available and could do the job, and it worked on some level. So, but you you just you're fighting a, a winless battle. Like you can't attract good players. Um, the culture there has been losing for so long, and it's no disrespect to them, but to turn that around is impossible. Um, you know, within one, two, three years, when you can't build a squad, you can't build. Um, you know, players are going to be there long term, and it's just I, I think it's um, really difficult. Obviously, the way I tried to get some results was to bring in a couple of players from the UK, and we got Charlie and Abdi, and turns yeah. out, you know, they were great kids. They were brilliant. Um, they ended up getting an opportunity to play at a high level in in Melbourne. Now they've gone back to the UK, and but like that's not sustainable. You can a club like Eagle Hawk can top up their squad with international young guys that come out. Brilliant. If you're going to go to one of these clubs that are struggling outside of Strath and Eagle Hawk, your Colts, um, Epsom, uh, Golden City, you, you know, you, you can't build a future by doing that. So I think Spring Gallery will be the only ones that sort of break the rule and effectively that will be because they've taken all that, that group of 16-year-old players that are all quality, just left the NPL. They've sort of found their way to Springdale, and they'll be able to build a very, very competitive young team. That's a bit of an anomaly that I don't think would exist for any other club. So, um, you know, the others are just sort of, what do you do? How, how do you become competitive? Which I think will be a bit of the downfall of Basil. So it feels like that's something that they've got to address because they can't have Golden City and the likes of Colts getting hammered every week or Epsom as well because it's not going to be, they're going to lose players. Because it, Yeah, I did a lot of watching last year, as most people are aware. And one thing I did notice was um, going to what obviously I watched, I think I saw every Eagle Hawk game, is you always knew when it was going to be worth going to or not. And that's not something that you kind of. Exactly. That predictability really it doesn't that. make it exciting. No one, the players, no. people involved, no one gets excited about it. And I agree, Sana, they've got to do something to fix it. Oh, whether the ship sailed or not, I don't know. I actually don't know what Basil needs to do um, to fix it because, you know, it's about, I don't see it correcting itself anytime soon. I reckon what they should do personally is get rid of amateur, invite more teams from other towns. There's no money, Alex. Yeah, but you, you invite more teams. No one wants to – I'm not saying pay players. I'm just saying if you get rid of that amateur title, it makes it more appealing for players from other places to come and play. So if you maybe invite a few Ballarat teams, not Sebastopol, but like North Ballarat, I know I've got a team, or maybe some teams from the Albury-Rodonga League and just say, all right, at the start of the year, we'll play an interleague cup. You can do that. And then that kind of builds relationships with other leagues and it allows other players to say, oh, maybe the quality here is not too bad. And then it allows the Golden Cities, the Epsoms, the Colts to kind of invite players from those clubs into their, I guess, 
into their club or maybe just literally get more clubs into the league, make it more competitive. But as what as what Nathan said at the start, though, there's no winning culture within some of those clubs, so they're gonna they're gonna be lose at a losing end at the start, and no money to offer them. But uh, yeah, I think yeah. the the philosophy is a good one. How do you integrate? Because who really cares about a Bendigo standalone Bendigo league in the real world of football? No one. But if you had a regional Victorian competition, which was equivalent to one of the state leagues, you'd have interest. You'd have good Melbourne players coming to get some money and play up here. You know, if you had your Shep teams, your Ballarat teams, and you could. Somehow get Albury, and obviously the, the big hurdle, or the challenge to that is finances. You got to travel a bit, and you got to be able to attract players with money. But you know, maybe that's something that has to be put on the table to all these clubs and those administrators. Something like what Alex says is put on the table. Can you do it? Can we create a model that will make this work? Um, the answer might be no, but they have to do something. Have to have some sort of conversations to go. Let's create something that's going to be viable and inviting and people want to play. And that's, I think it's, yeah, I think we've got to do that, but how do we get every club in a table and like talk about it and put their differences aside? I guess it's one of those things that would never probably happen. Uh, yeah, I couldn't see it happening, <laughs> but I'd love to think that it could be at least explored, but. Yeah. Cause obviously yeah, I played at Colts last year and I had, I kind of knew, like, as what Alex said, like, you knew if it was going to be, if you're going to get hammered or not. And there were the games that were like, you kind of choose not to play because it's just like, yeah, I could play and get hammered. Or I could go work on a Sunday afternoon and make, what, a few hundred dollars in the afternoon. And I think that's what happened because there's some games where you kind of, you're playing against Strathout. And I think we got, got hammered 16-1, which is atrocious. Yeah, it's, yeah, it shouldn't happen. Like, the fact that those score lines exist in Basel at a senior level... It's just a debacle. But I guess it's credits to the likes of Eagle Hawk and Strath because they've obviously built um, – they've got, they've got a history of winning or they've got a history of building um, good culture around their clubs. Well, yeah. Well, you look at the plight of the um, the other clubs that are struggling now and are sort of stuck in that cycle. Absolutely. you got to look – I rate Strathdale. Like I have my differences coaching against them personal <laughs> personnel-wise and whatever, but – I have never, ever once detracted from what they've created there, which is, you know, an amazing culture that people want to be a part of. They want to come and be a part of it. They want to play for it. It doesn't matter if they, you know, they've got so many numbers. Guys are missing out on a game, but they'd rather be at Strathdale than go to another club and get, you know, a full game because of what they offer. So oh, I don't know how you – I had so many thoughts. How do we capture that and recreate that? Well, it didn't work, obviously, and I think it would take a bit of – um, effort and a whole bunch of re- resource and personnel to do it. But you're right, you have to give credit where credit's due. And um, again, Eagle Hawk, like I've got my differences with them, but what, you know, um, I go back there a long way and you have to applaud them for remaining competitive even in the years where you think, no way, all the best players are gone there. And it's guys like the Skeepers that figure out a way to, to make it work. And, you know, yeah, I agree. you got to applaud them for being able to do what they've done in the last few years for sure. Yeah. We'll move on to obviously the purpose of the um the podcast was to obviously judge the um get your opinions on yours and Alex's opinions on the best eleven players that you've seen um over the last decade. Because obviously you coached I think I remember you coaching um Colts before you went to um Bendigo City, Nathan. Yeah, I did a stint at Eagle Hawk and then I was away from the game a bit then uh, life issues were in the way. And then Colts, I was living near Colts, so they got me back in. I did a few years there. 
Um, then got involved with Bendigo City and, yeah, then a little stint at Golden City. So I've had a bit to yeah. do with Basel over the last 10 years. Now, where if you coach? Sorry, Sunday, you go I was going to say, because you, Nathan, you coach probably one of my favourite players, um, Jake McDonald. It's just, I love watching him play. Just the things that he does on the pitch, it's like, it's surreal half of the time. Yeah, Jakey's a workhorse. I, Jakey's one of those players that he just figures it away because he's so competitive and gets results and, um, and he's just the most lovely guy off the pitch as well. So I think everybody in Bendigo football, probably everyone in the world who's met Jakey loves Jakey. Yeah. Alex, as you were saying? Um, I was just going to say, you put a few stipulations on us with this team. Yeah. I do, yeah. So I'll, I'll go through that. So we've got four stipulations. Um, obviously, um, we'll go from the quality of the player um, and then we'll go the medals. So obviously individuals, um, whether that's the league best and fairest or just best on ground um, on the Knockout Cup, similarly award you one, Alex, um, the league young, young player of the year. Um, and then we'll go the influence that they had on the team. So obviously guys like Keegan Smythe, he's, everyone knows the influence that he's had on Eagle Hawk. And then we'll go for the longevity um, so you boys will both pick a team and then at the end we'll both got to agree on um, 11 players out of the 22 players that we've selected. Do you want to – we'll start, we'll start obviously in order. I um, had a lot of trouble with this. Um, I went – ended up going with the three-five-two formation. So did I. Um, in goal I put Jade and Abbott, but I've only – so I've kind of cheated a bit, and I've used him as a Sid Golden City player, not as an Eagle <laughs> player. I probably should have said that. Hey, so it's two people per club max. Yeah, so I've cheated and gone Jaden Abbott, Golden City. Okay. Yeah. Do, you, do you want to go position? Yeah, give us your whole Okay, so, yep. uh, so yeah, Jaden Abbott, Golden City, then the back three, um, I've gone with Nick Watson, Strathdale, Brett Quinn, Epsom, Josh Norton, Spring Gully. Uh, then my wing backs have gone Josh Claney, Golden City, Trev Harvey, Epsom. Uh, then a middle three, I've gone Steve Barrett, Strathdale, Keegan Smith, Eaglehawk, Matt Ford, Spring Gully. And then up front, I've gone Tomo from the Borough, obviously, and then Daniel Purdy from Colts. Woohoo. Yep. A lot of, a lot of uh, crossovers. I see you left out Joel Aiken from uh, – he's won the last three. Oh, did you put – did you include Shep players in that too? I thought we weren't putting Shep in, but if we could put Shep, oh, my team would change a bit. But they're just bending based only. I'm actually kind of – I'm going to question um, – Alex, I'm kind of surprised you left Sean Boxall, won four premierships yeah, in the last decade. I did. Probably too. one of the best. He's one of the best strikers. I know. Um, but playing Bendigo, he's, also played, he's also played for the two hardest clubs to f- – to fit, in, <laughs> yeah, to fit in because Nick Watson's won five flags in the last decade. He's won a league medal. He's won a league cup. Steve Barrett's won three out of the last five league medals. Keegan's probably the best player in the league and Tom Harris kicked 80 goals in three seasons. So I couldn't really fit him in because I did want to put him in there, but I couldn't take the other four out. Who, who are his subs? Did you have them? Um, so I had some honourable mentions. Uh I had Dylan Calloway from Colts, uh, Jared Styles, Spring Gully, Jesse Leonard Shannon, Golden City and Epsom, uh, James Crawley, and then I had obviously the usual suspects, Zeke Hawk, Chops, Brent and Danny Kelly. And then uh, Nathan Satori I had as an honourable mention as well because having spoken to Goffey a fair bit about his thoughts on 
on this team, he said that Nathan Satori is one of the most valuable players he could have in a team. So I included him in there as well. Great. No, um, no chops? No chops is on the bench. How do you fit him in when he comes to make a look? <laughs> yeah, it's too hard. Oh, yeah, fair. I thought it was on the bench. Nathan, do you want to give us your team? Yeah, all right. So <laughs> I had um, Rob Monday in goal. Now, I don't think he fits any of the longevity or the um, the medals, but I think he was – you know, he was outstanding, probably the best keeper I saw while I was coaching in Basel. Um, my back three, again, it's hard because I don't think you can go past Brent Hamblin and Chris Hopley um, in terms of the best two centre-halves in the league. I would agree with that. But yeah. when you have to include Keegan and Tomo, you can't always – anyway, so poor old Hamblin and Hopley. I've gone with Quinny as well. I rated him very, very highly. Um, I put Nick Watson in there as well in his heyday. Um, he was brutal and he was one of the defenders I thought I would never have liked to come up against. Good. No, he's not far I'll give you the tip. tip. <laughs> <laughs> yep, good kid too. Um, and you're not going to like this, but I had Abdi Razak Hussein in my back three. And again, I fit him in on the basis that he won the Young Player of the Year last year. Um, oh, I fit him in basically on his talent. Um, I think he's the best defender I've seen in the league to impact the game. but. Um, I fit him in on your criteria Sunday on the basis that he won the Young Player of the Year, so he's won a medal, and he only played a third of the season to win that. So my back three, Quinny, Nick Watson, Abdi Razak. My midfield, Ed Keegan at number six, um, Barrett, obviously. And I went with Sean Grant in there just because I thought I'd better try and include the Shepherd teams. Games, yeah. yep, but obviously he earns his spot. And my number 10, again, not on longevity or medals, but I had to put Tommy Kay from Colts um, because I just I rate that kid so highly um, as a player. Caldo, you would might have made it in that position, but sorry, couldn't fit you in the Eagle Hawk. No, that's all right. I wouldn't have put myself in anyway. Well, I didn't put myself in, so there you go. So, yeah, so that's my midfield, Keegan, Barrett, Sean Grant, Tommy Kay, and I've got a front three actually. Um, so Joel Aitken at the nine um, and then either side. Who Shep, Shep, yeah. South. Shep South. and then Tatura last year? Or Shep, no, South? No, Shep, Shep South. South. Shep South. So he won the last three leading goal scorers in the league. Um, tough, to, tough to stop. He scored one goal against Eagle Hawk in three years, Joel. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, they call him no goals, Joel, because he doesn't score against them. I might, <laughs> I might change and put Bocker in there. No, 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 no. I'll better stick with what I got. <laughs> uh, and I had either side of him, I had Purdy on one side and Tomo on the other. That's a quality, my, quality team. Yeah, my subs were Jared Stiles. I think you just he's just a worker. He's a good bloke from what I can yeah, tell. Lovely and, bloke, yeah. yeah. You just got to put him in. And I also had Nader Sartori in his heyday. I thought he was fantastic. And James Crawley, I think, again, not longevity, but just talent. My coach, do you want to – I put Goffey as my coach. I would have put Goffey as the coach, yeah. I didn't have one, but probably him with uh, maybe Ryan Pollard as the assistant just because I love him. <laughs> you love Pollard. <laughs> I just think what Goffey did at um, helping turn around Strathdale where they became the powerhouse they are now is outstanding. And having worked with him a little bit just to see his approach, how he's so committed to doing all the hard work and, um, you know, all the tedious detail of coaching that not many apply themselves to, I think he's, he's brilliant. He's a competitor yeah, too. We had, a, we had a podcast a few weeks ago with Goffey, um, Nathan, and he, he elaborated everything that, like, I think it's just the changes that he had to make at Strath um, to be sustainable in the future was um, 
Just can't, we can, yeah. What he, did, what he did there is fantastic. I, yeah, brilliant guy. Um, question, Purdy. You both had Purdy in there. Um, yeah, I thought, you both want to explain that? Well, I thought that he's a league medal winner. He won a flag last year at Strath. Um, in terms of being valuable to his team uh, with Colts specifically, I reckon you can't not put him in. Obviously, um, there are players personally that I think are better than him that could go in the team, but you, I couldn't fit him in with I couldn't fit him in with the rules. Like obviously, he's a good player. Like. I've never actually played a game with him, never, ever been on the same team as him. Oh, actually, I played with him at Bendigo City. I'll take that back. Um, but, I like, yeah, in terms of being valuable to his team with Colts, you had to put him in, I reckon. I agree. I agree with all that. I think he's one of those players that struggled to translate that into an NPL environment. But every time I watched him in Basel, I thought, man, I just, I just wish I had that guy on my team. <laughs> Coaching against him, like he's and he's a great guy too. Like, well, you know, from what I see, he doesn't bite back at any of the the shit that goes on. And um, yeah, I think he's a good influence on the players around him. Fits your category well. Yeah, you both both had um, Keegan and Barrett. Do you boys want to? Obviously, people talk about how they're probably the two best players to have played in the league. With um, Tomo, I guess it's some three would be top three um, in any order. Um, what makes those two midfielders so good? Um, also. Valuable to their clubs. Well, I think Keegan to me is the most all-round. He's hard, he's tough, he's physical, he's a competitor, and he's technically brilliant. Um, I just see he's the outstanding player in the region for the last 10 years. Barrett, on the other hand, didn't have the same polish or technical ability, nowhere near it as um, Keegan. But again, he just always influenced the game for his team. Um, unbelievable worker. I just never saw him have a bad game where he didn't influence the game. So I think for me, for me those two just had to be the crux of your midfield. I think I put Keegan in, haven't played with him for the last, well, in 2018, I played half the year and we both didn't really play last year. Um, but at Bendigo City, um, I'll go back to that. I reckon there's just a lot that I take away from his game that I want to implement. Like, obviously, I'm not a hard player. I don't tackle much. I'm not really good in the air. But, like, there's a lot of things, like, what he does with the ball, like, how he can, like, manipulate his passes to be perfect and, like, how he – like, he just flicks balls around corners and they're perfect. Like, it's just something that that I just really like about his game as well as he's, like, obviously good in the tackle, really good in the air and he scores goals. The other thing I've encountered is, and you would know from playing with him, he's highly – his football intelligence is really high. Yeah, definitely. He's – he won't – well – I don't know how he go coaching because obviously he's got a massive ego, which is another thing that I, I like about him. But, um, yeah, he would be a very good assistant when it comes to it because he can watch a game and, and pick things out. Obviously, massive Liverpool supporter, watches all their games and he always has an opinion on them. But with Barrett, I reckon um, in terms of – I wouldn't say he's, yeah, like you said, as good as Keegan, but he – kind of just makes Strathdale tick. Like, you can say that Keegan's really good both ways, like scores goals and defends, whereas Barrett's more just like, I'll get the ball from the defence and I'll give it to our forwards. And there's no mm-hmm. one there's no one better at kind of breaking lines with passing than Barrett, I reckon. But he does go sideways a lot, which is one criticism I have. <laughs> obviously, we've both, obviously, you both agree that they're the two best players in the league. 
Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how we, how do you get them players involved into the program that you are involved with, Nathan? Because obviously you want football minded, like excellent football minded players um, to help you with your program. Um, on your point, I, would, I don't know if I'd say he's in the best two. I'd say Keegan and Tomo would be my absolute standouts. Um, I don't think you can undersell Tomo's. He's just yeah. a gun, an absolute gun. Probably the best player to ever play in Bendigo. But in terms of getting guys like you mean. Keegan and Barrett involved in um, the yeah, development. Yeah, even Keegan, because Alex, even Ke- just especially Keegan, because Alex mentioned that Keegan's got a very um, football IQ and just smart in general. Um, yeah, I, I think um, I think the opportunity's got to be there. He, I think he was always keen to play at NPL when Benigo had a senior team, and he was he was obviously the one local guy. When we had a really gun team in 2015, he was the one local guy that was continuing to get a game. So he did his knee again. Um, I think if the opportunity presents itself, someone like Keegan, he knows his worth. You know, he, he knows his value and he's not going to undersell himself. And, you know, people criticise him as arrogant or whatever. I just think part of it, I go, good on you, mate. Like uh, if you provide an opportunity that's of value to him, I think you'll get him involved. And and probably that's the, the problem is guys like that that can contribute, there's nothing of value for them to engage in. Um so why would they, I guess? So I think that's the challenge is, and if we can create something regionally that's, you know, involved at a state level, I think your players like Keegan would jump at it because it's something of value. Yeah. yeah. Easy. So we'll start. Well, let's get this team rolling then. Cool. So um, we've both selected um, your two teams. So I think it's about time we put um, our teams together and make the one um, team of the decade. Um, so Nathan, oh, we'll go Alex. Do you want to start us off? Yeah. So obviously, I had Jaden as my goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, Rob Monday. I think I'm willing to concede on that in terms of uh, longevity and um, Abbott's winning record at Eaglehawk. Yeah. All right. Um, go Jaden. Jaden is the keeper then Sunday. Back three. Uh, well, Watto and Quinny. Watto and Quinny are automatically in because we both picked them. Um. And then I had Josh Norton. Yeah, so again, I think Abdi on talent and quality is um, a standout, but based on Norton's influence and longevity playing in the league, and um, I think you'd have to go with Norton. Yeah. Oh, perfect. I think, yeah, as, as you mentioned, Abdi's probably the better player out of the two. But in terms of being important to the team, Josh Norton, I think you probably have to include him. Um, I had two wing backs, a Josh Claney and Trev Harvey. Obviously, we've played played a different shape. Um, but who was your right mid? My wide players. I had a four man midfield with Purdy and Tomo as my two wide players. I think. Um, oh yeah, I don't know about Claney and um, Trev. I, I like Trev. I never yeah. Knew. But um. Yeah, different different style of play. If I went with Tommy K and Purdy as my two wing backs to fit the same, I, I'm happy I would... to take out those two because I kind of put them in just to because obviously of my year at Epsom. I is Josh Cleaning not better than Purdy though? Like the uh, quality of what I think the year that you won the you won the knockout cup, Cleaning was probably your best player. Like the influence oh, that he thanks, had in mate. that squad. Thanks, mate. Um, not Alex. No, I reckon that. He was just the kind of go-to when if you wanted something to happen, just get him the ball because obviously he's good at playing, uh, good at beating players. But um, Purdy, 
as much as I hate to admit it, has won a league medal and he's won a championship. So I think I'm happy to concede those two and let you have Tomo and um, Purdy as your kind of wide players and I'll just change my shape because it actually kind of suits me a bit better. Okay. <laughs> so Tomo and Purdy as the two wing backs. Well, yeah, all wide players. We'll then Wingers. settle on this central midfield group. It's echoing. Oh, yeah. So Keegan and Barrett are both in. Yep. You both selected them. Like, no questions. Who are your other two midfielders, Kyoto? Um, So I had Matt Ford in there, but I'm happy to – Barrett and Keegan were my other two, obviously, with the shape. So put those two in. I, I think Sean Grant, I love Matty Ford. Absolute quality guy. Like, calm, great influence on a team, good leader. Probably just rate Sean Grant technically a bit better. I don't know about medals. Obviously, Fordy was at Spring Galley in some lean years, so. Yeah, I'm happy to put um, Sean Grant in there too. Um, If we're going to play 3-4-3, though, which is what we're doing, isn't it? Yep. I'd put probably Barron Keegan as the two central ones, then put Sean Grant on on a wing. Yep, yep, happy with that. Yeah, so we've got um, – Who do we take out, Purdy or Tomo? No, no, they're, so they're going to be the wide players in the, in the flat four. They're going to be wingers. Yeah, wide players in a flat four, and then Keegan and Barrett as the two central ones, and then we've got Sean Grant on the left. Yeah? Yep, I'm happy with that. Yeah, and then Joel Aitken was your striker. Yep. And I'm happy to put him in there, obviously um, – Playing, I've played against him a lot. Like, I reckon if there's one player that stands out to me is like, shit, like we're playing against these blokes. Joel Aiken is, would probably personify that. Like, he's just always in the right spot. And you can, I can just, um, I remember one game we played against when I was at Epsom. We've coming third. If we won, we would have gone top. And we were 1 0 up. I scored just after half time. And we're like, this is going to be the biggest six-pointer ever. And I just remember Joel Aiken scored a hat-trick of headers at the back post and I just can't get out of my head. It was just such a bad day. And he just always manages to just nick goals. So I'm happy to put him in. Yeah, so what's that, Levis? The, the other right, right winger. And who who do you have? So because I played a different shape, um, I don't have one. I don't have a right winger. Who's, who's the last attacking player then that you've got in your – or is that it? Well, that's it, yeah. Matt Ford would be the other only other player that we um, – that I've had to sacrifice. So I think I could probably put Josh Claney out on that right wing. I'd, I'd then – yeah, so that my last player then we consider is Tommy Kay or then Sartori Nader was the other one that I think – or James Crawley would come into consideration. I'd probably go Nader Sartori alongside Joel Aitken and – Tommy Kay can sit on the bench with um, Crawley and Stolze. Yeah, all right. Do it that way then. Read through the team Sunday. Man, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm just trying to work it out. So obviously we had Abbott in goals. Yeah, Abbott in goals. Um, we had Watto, Watto, um, Quinn, and then Josh Norton. Yeah. Um, and we had a flat four. Grant. We had a flat four of Greg yep. Thomas, Steve Barrett. Yeah, on the left. Yep, Steve Barrett, um, Keegan Jeez. Smith, and Daniel Purdy. Yep. And then the front three was Sean Grant, Joel Aiken, and Nathan Satori. I'm pretty, Nathan Satori. I'm pretty content with that. 
that's actually a pretty good squad. So obviously we um, know that Bendigo has players that can actually compete. That, that team could actually compete in Melbourne. That's just the quality in it. So I think it's time that people in the league kind of those players, those players, each of them in their day, that would be a high quality state league team, high quality, mm, definitely. And then you've yeah. got. Did you ever play in Bendigo at all, Nathan? Uh, when I came back from Green Gully, I played about half a season at Eagle Hawk and got um, injured. Uh, my knee. Oh, I can't remember now. I used to always think of him and curse him in my mind. But I can't remember. It's probably a good thing I've moved on in life. But um, from Spring Gully. But anyway, I played about half a season. I think you know I, I made the uh, Eagle Hawk team of the decade with half a season under my belt, and then also the first three games of that year, I got three best on votes from Brendan Hayworth, who was refereeing. So thanks, Brendan. Appreciate that. <laughs> And that was my extent of battle. Oh, I said when I was 15, I made my debut for Spring Alley against uh, Golden, a Golden City team in 94 that was like just unbelievable. It scared the crap out of me as a 15-year-old yeah. kid. But So play, did you play against Nathan Satori at all? Like what was he like as a player to play against? I don't think I ever really did. That one little stint at Eagle Hawk when I came back from playing in Melbourne, was, I'm sure I maybe played one game against him. But yeah, I just uh, back then I just thought he was outstanding. Attacked, defended, again, huge tank, work engine, um, smart player, good leader, calm, steadying. Yeah, I, I rate him very, very highly. Great, great, perfect. Yeah, so anyways, I guess it's not the end of the episode. Um, so I guess it's thanks for having, thanks for joining us. No worries. Um, I'd love to have you again, Nathan. It'd be great. Uh, you're a man of knowledge. I think it's, you've got so much information that um, – you could be a resource to a lot of people out there. Um, they've just got to ask, I suppose. Yeah, happy to. Oh, happy to jump on board, and I like the way you and Keldo run the show, mate. It's it's um, entertaining. The ladies will come for Keldo. Oh, actually, <laughs> Alex is actually the guest. Um, Alex is my yeah. favourite guest. I just, he, I, just uh, he loves the show, though. I uh, yeah, as Nathan touched on before, I think the ladies just just love the sound of my voice. Um, <laughs> nice, nah, but in all honesty, I uh, yeah, it's good to be a part of Sunday. Appreciate you asking me to come on every week and give my opinions, even though they a lot of people probably don't agree with me. But that's the beauty of it, mate. A lot of people won't agree with me, but the sport is subjective and it's open to I think Sunday creating a platform like this to give opinions and stimulate conversation it's brilliant, mate. And credit to you. Cool, perfect. Well, that's it. Um, we'll talk to you boys soon. All right, thanks, thanks man. See ya. Yeah.